Helena J.H. Johnson, The Lupus Liar, Conversations with Lupus Unscripted. All right, all right, all right. I'm so excited that I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Edith Williams from MUSC. That's the Medical University of South Carolina. She's from the Center of Health Disparities Research. She's actually with the Division of Rheumatology, and I just cannot over overstate how wonderful it is to know how this particular researcher delves into understanding the human side of research. Um, Edith is one of those ones which I've had an opportunity to actually work with, um, Dr. Edith Williams, and she's just She's just the right person for empowering and, and talking about how things are affecting the African-American community and all of those who are affected by lupus. And Edith, welcome. Thank you so much, Helena. Thank you so much for putting this interview on and for having me with you um, and just inviting me to speak to all of your contacts and friends and loved ones in your community. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As I got relaxed there and said, Edith, I need to doctor Edith while I'm on the interview. <laughs> Not necessary at all. Well, it's just always wonderful speaking with you with all of the great things you're doing. And I'm just excited to have an opportunity because what I had a chance to do was post information about what we're getting ready to talk about, the PAL study, and you're going to tell us more about it. But I got a chance to post, and people are just so much interested in this um, this type of research study. And I'm just excited to have the chance to talk with you about it. I was reading some of your bio, and um, just to get to know you a little better before we dive into delve into it. Um, so you began with your interest in lupus with the Buffalo Lupus Project? Yes, that's right. So I started working with the Buffalo Lupus Project as a graduate student. So that was my first encounter with lupus as a disease, with um, people who had lupus, and it was so moving for me um, working on that project that I said, well, this is, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. So, um, so wow. that is awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, and so do you have any, if you don't mind me asking, do you have any family members that are diagnosed with lupus? No, I don't. The closest connection I have is my mom. She has rheumatoid arthritis, but, um, but that's actually happened later in life for her. So I didn't have an experience with autoimmune disease or, anything like lupus growing up. It wasn't until I was in graduate school at Buffalo and kind of thrown into this project. And even that project, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like just studying lupus on paper. I was kind of immersed into the families of, of people with lupus and um, visiting the homes of, of women, especially African-American women with lupus, and just doing life with them, getting to know about their routines and their daily life and all of their struggles, even outside of their illness, just what they had to do um, to make sure that they could still carry on life as usual for their their husbands and children and friends. And so that's really what drew me into lupus as a research um, direction for myself is just how superhuman these ladies were that I got to know that they mm -hmm. carried on, you know, life even more competently and um, proficiently than some professionals who didn't have a care in the world. They were just so motivated mm -hmm. and passionate 
about keeping things going, um, even when, like some of them would say, they woke up feeling like they were hit by a truck every morning or, you know, they had all these medications to keep under control. A lot of them were on dialysis and, you know, had a lot of other things mm. going on. And I said, if there is anything I can do to make life better for these women, these sisters of mine, then I'm going to do it. You know, I'll use whatever I, whatever ability or skills or intelligence I have. Yeah. And, you know, and use it that way. Channel it that way. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for that, you know, me being someone that's diagnosed with lupus. And I'm African-American woman, female myself. But what, what you said um, really brings us into this PAL study. You were talking and involved in what's going on in their home life. And a lot of research studies only look at the blood work or they want you to come in and get a test. And so you're really talking about, like, one of the things you put in here for me that I was reading about, the, the psychosocial stress and, and the things that can be done beyond the pills and stuff that we take for this disease. You're looking at things that involve that emotion, that involve my real life. And I think that is so awesome. That's right. And I I think that's so critical. And, and you're right, it is missing in a lot of our health research. Um, it's just a lot of people ignore that we are human beings. We are creatures of relationships. You know, relationships mm-hmm. that we form, the relationships around us are so intertwined with who and what we are that they can affect our health and our well-being. And, um, you know, I'm sure you, me, everyone listening can think of a relationship that negatively impacted someone's health, you know, those toxic relationships. And Mm -hmm. then there are those Mm -hmm. relationships that can heal and improve, you know, outcomes in someone's life. And I think if we ignore that, then we're ignoring a whole component um, of how to be well um, and things that can be risk factors for us to be sick. So I think it's a really important area. So that, that brings me to say so then, so now I can go ahead and say is PAL stands for the peer approaches, peer approaches to lupus self-management. That's right. So listening to how deeply you're involved into those emotional aspects, the cycle, all the intervention aspects, the real quality of life aspects, what brought you into actually doing the, well, coming up with the PAL study? Well, thinking about peer mentoring um, and thinking about that concept of relationship, um, peer mentoring is a type of relationship, um, and it's basically just a relationship where someone experienced with a condition is just helping someone less experienced through that. And in all of my research, I found that peer mentoring is really successful in low-income and minority people because um, it's something that is equitable, you know, it's something that's reciprocal, so there's no one, no one person in charge, there's no one with more prestige or higher status, it's just two people mm-hmm. sharing their experiences with one another. And it's something that builds trust um, because a peer is someone who's like yourself. So it's one of those things where a natural relationship can actually build a lot of different skills and competencies that someone may not have on their own, just trying to rough it on their own. Um, And we know that there are groups that have less trust, you know, in the healthcare system than others. So these characteristics are really important for something that you're trying to use to 
to improve people's health because it can help to rebuild some of those losses in the healthcare system and really put people on a level playing field with those who don't have those trust issues with providers and other um, types of medical staff. So um, I know at MUSC we have a wonderfully supportive team, but there's yes, yes, MUSC is the best. They they are amazing and and they care so amazingly mm-hmm. for their patients. But there's something about talking with someone who understands what you're going through on a day-to-day basis, like having to go into work and people saying that you don't look sick. Why is why is Rochelle always calling mm. out of work? She looks fine. She looks wonderful. She looks better than everybody yeah. here. So why does she always have to go to the doctor? I guess she's just lazy. And a lot of people don't understand those types of experiences. So that type of relationship that you can build with someone who's been through the same things can be motivating and empowering to the point of improving health outcomes. And that's been shown time and time again in the literature. So I felt like knowing that that was something that's worked in other areas. There's a ton of literature about this being effective in HIV and breastfeeding and diabetes and weight loss and smoking cessation. I said, well, if it's working that well for these other things, then we definitely need it with lupus, and we can oh, use yes. that strategy, you know, and that approach to our benefit. So that's really what led me to incorporate that approach in the context of lupus. I love it. I love it. Well, so go ahead. Just put, go ahead and continue. Tell us a little bit more about the PAL study. You know all the benefits. Just go right into it. I'd love to just let you talk and tell us more about it. Okay, sure. So, our PAL study, like I was saying, it is um, a peer mentoring approach. So it's where we're we're pairing um, African American women, one being a mentor um, who's kind of been through different experiences, can really model and guide and encourage um, another African-American woman who, not necessarily that she's doing poorly or that she's not competent in certain areas, but it could be something as simple as she just needs that extra support or um, mm-hmm. she needs the encouragement or she, she needs someone to bounce ideas off of or someone to hold her accountable when she's setting goals, um, setting self-management goals for herself. So we've um, we've kind of moved beyond um, just thinking about support as something, you know, fuzzy and nice and, oh, we're all friends, into something that can really be a useful tool. You know, we can really use this type of relationship as a useful tool to educate, encourage, empower, um, and really motivate women to do better for themselves. Because like the title said, it's about self-management. It's about teaching mm-hmm. um, African-American women the skills they need to manage their own illness better. So they're not depending on, um, you know, providers for everything, for those day-to-day life things. Now, you need your providers. Um, they have the knowledge and the skills to help you manage your your symptoms and manage um, your disease to the point to avoid some of those um, life-threatening complications and long-term damage. So they are critical. Those medical medicine regimens that they prescribe are critical. Mm -hmm. But there's other day-to-day things that you can do um, to keep yourself feeling healthy, to limit your symptoms, to keep you out of the hospital, to limit those repeat readmissions. Um, And those are the things that we try to focus on with this program. So um, there are – it is a research study. So there are a lot of, you know – 
nitty-gritty detailed nuts and bolts um, that I can definitely answer specific questions about. But um, okay. the bottom line is that the program is about African-American veterans with lupus who are coping and managing well, mentoring those who are not doing as well. And our mentors are trained, and they follow a manual. So um, we try to stress that they are not there for clinical advice or to share and dispense medications, but rather they're there to deliver preset self-management education and then share their experiences and model and encourage. So um, for the purpose okay. of our study, we, we define a peer mentor as someone who has a similar condition and can use their own experiences to provide information to others who have the same condition. Um, and it's especially useful in this context because they're providing that type of assistance to those who are trying to work out the best ways of managing their lupus. And then so there's always have to be somebody that has more. Um, I always tease in our, in our um, arena how some people, you know, we go by years and things like that, but it's not always necessarily about people having more years of experience. Right. Maybe there's somebody who's been diagnosed for 20 years that would like to be mentored. Exactly. They would like to have, right, that define how their life is, is going. So it's not about, am I, am I saying that correctly? Yes. That's exactly right. So on both ends of the spectrum, we have ladies who have been diagnosed for 20-plus years who don't necessarily, they're not interested in mentoring someone. They feel like they could actually use the extra support and um, the ideas for how to better manage their health. And then we have some young ladies, some 20-year, you know, ladies in their 20s who may have only been di recently diagnosed within the last 10 years, but they have a wealth of wisdom, and they've been through so much already. You know, they've perhaps been through yeah. transplants and um, been through a lot of the different symptomology that um, maybe some of those seasoned ladies haven't experienced. Um, so, so it's at on both ends. You have you have women at all all age groups. You know, all levels of experience, all levels of knowledge, um, all kinds of backgrounds, regardless of age, and um, and it's all useful. It all works so well. So we actually, in our um, pilot project of this larger project that we're recruiting for right now, we had mm -hmm. one young lady um, who was a mentor, and she had some mentees who were decades older than her. But at the end of the project, these mentees were like, she was amazing. You know, talking with her, awesome. you know, helped to motivate and encourage and inspire them to do things because she was such a young lady, um, coming to them with, with so much wisdom and such great advice and guidance and encouragement and support. So she was really motivating to them because they kind of looked at her as, as a daughter you know, kind of a daughter figure, but she was helping uh, them, you know, and, and they helped her. You know, they she let them know how motivating and encouraging they were to her, even with her being in the mentor role. So something I try to stress is it's not about someone being older and, and wiser and better or more competent. Um, it's just it's still about ladies getting together and sharing their experiences because probably more so than I even heard from our mentees, we heard how this experience, transform the lives of our mentors, being able to help someone mm. else, feeling useful, feeling like they were contributing to someone else's life, really helped them to put things in perspective and do better for themselves. So it, it's just this huge, wonderful, you know, healthy cycle um, that we've been able to create with this approach.
I love it. And so they all get trained. Just a little repetition here. Those who are chosen to to be in the program are those who are chosen to be mentors are 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 trained. So even though that young lady did a lot of great things, offered a lot of great advice, she was also trained by you. By that's you right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Awesome. So you're not you're not going in at it alone. That's right. Here. You're not going in at it. Alone. That's right. Um, because part of the peer mentoring program, it is actually it's twelve structured sessions by phone. Um, so these sessions, um, we have set topics, and these topics have actually been developed over the last ten or so years out of the research that I've done with African American women with lupus over the years. So these are topics that um, women have had questions about, have wanted to explore more, have wanted to delve into. So we use that to build this program to answer a lot of those questions, to provide mm-hmm. a lot of that information, and um, and really be able to demystify some myths about certain things. So you'll see in there some non-traditional topics that maybe they, they haven't been able to talk about with their doctors or um, things that have been kind of taboo, like one of our um, sessions is about sexuality and body image, you know, things that are very mm-hmm. real for women and um, that there can be a lot of barriers to um, having an illness like lupus that, and a lot of times they have no one to talk to about these Right, things. because you don't feel like you have time to talk about that with your exactly. doctor or you feel like it's a waste of time to talk about that right. with your doctor. When you're right. To, you feel like you're just there to just get your medicine and get your checkup and move on. But that's something that really does affect our quality of life, where right. how we feel and walk out of that door and knowing someone who's experiencing the same thing can make such a big difference on exactly. their outlook. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. awesome. That's awesome. Well, explain to us a little bit more about what the process is and, and, and how you feel like this is going to make such a great major impact on the community. Sure. Um, so as I was saying, the mentors are trained. So that's really the first step. The first step is to recruit everyone. Um, so recruiting mentors and mentees, we try to recruit everyone at the same time. Around the time that our mentors are being trained, we're also working on pairing people up. Now, with our first study, it was just mentor-mentee relationships. But with this study, it's, a, it's an expanded study. It's actually a five-year federally funded program. So we're doing it in waves. We're doing it in smaller, more manageable chunks that will be about 12 to 18 months long. And we'll have three of those waves that are 12 to 18 months. Each wave is identical. Each wave will include the mentors being trained at the beginning, but the difference from the original program is that we will have one group who's doing that one-on-one mentoring. So we'll have a mentor who is matched with up to three mentees, and they'll be responsible for calling their mentees um, every other week 12 times. So you can imagine this is 12 sessions every other week, so that adds up to 24 weeks, which is a six-month program. At the same time that that one-on-one mentoring is going on, there will be another group who's meeting in small support groups. So instead of one-on-one mentoring, um, they'll be meeting in small groups of African-American women with lupus. Um, Those meetings will, will just be general support group meetings because what we're trying to see is whether support groups Um, are either equally um, or less effective than having a one-on-one mentor to make a case Ah. for mentors. 
So it is research. I mean, this is a research study, so we're trying to look at these different approaches to see what might work the best. Um, it's possible that having a support system in the support group, in the small support group, will be just as effective as having a one-on-one mentor. Or we could find that the one-on-one mentor, you know, makes worlds of difference in the outcomes that we'll be measuring. So that's the next step. Um, We actually are tracking everyone's progress um, throughout the course of the study. So people will take questionnaires, both mentors and mentees, We'll take um, a questionnaire at the beginning before they get started, and then once we're into the program, about halfway at the three-month mark, they'll take questionnaires again. And then at the six-month mark, when they're all done with those 12 sessions, we'll do a survey again. Then we'll wait three months after the program, and then we'll have a booster session um, where either small groups or the Mm one-on-one mentor-mentee pairs will review what they've covered that previous six months, and then Mm -hmm. we'll let another three months go by, and we'll do the final questionnaire and then have a celebration where we'll try to bring everybody together and go over what worked, what we might be able to do better um, to really make the program the best it can possibly be. For that everyone is involved. awesome, and that, they that is really one become involved complete wave. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm sorry, I, I, I was so excited when you said it. So everyone <laughs> becomes involved; they are a part of it, right? And that, and I was, process. I was actually going to touch on that when you're um, asking about the impact of this program, and I think that's just that. This is a very unique kind of de- um, study design. Because generally when you have interventions where you're trying to improve people's health, you have professionals like myself or providers or nurses delivering a program. But this is a program that is owned by, delivered by, you know, um, tracked by um, women with lupus, the patients, our participants, Mm. the people who this will matter to, who this will impact are our interventionists. You know, we, I'm, I'm tr- doing the training, but really you take the training and you run with it, and it becomes a program that is really um, developed by and, um, and implemented by the people who are going to get the benefit of it. And I think that's where the, the major impact of such a program is, is that it, it belongs to the people who need it the people who it's for, it belongs to them. So, And I think that's something that, that does not happen all the time. And I think that aspect of it is very empowering. And, and I think that in and of itself um, makes it more effective and makes people more motivated um, to carry out the things that they learn, the goals that they set, um, and things like that, because this is their program. You know, this is their baby. You know, I I wrote a you know I wrote a few pages and <laughs> and mailed it in, and, you know, and got a few dollars to, <laughs> to do it. But really, um, really, I'm putting mm-hmm. it in the hands of the people um, that I designed it for, and then telling them, you know, this is yours now. You know, you do with it what you think is best, what's going to to have the most impact. You know, I can provide the parameters and and the education and all of that that will go into it, but the way it's delivered, um, how it's going to be received, all of that, all the major pieces, the most important parts, um, are really um, controlled um, by the people it's for. So that's the impact there. That is awesome. They become the study, and and who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Because we, it, it is an emotional disease, 
And it you is. want to help others. You don't want anyone to have to go through the same thing. So I can see those who want to become mentors would do it because they really do want to help. So right. what's the process? What is the process um, to become a participant? Right. So um, what we've done is uh, we sent out a direct mailing um, to all of our MUSC lupus patients who fit the eligibility criteria, which is being an African-American woman with lupus who's over 18 years of age. But we've also tried to extend out um, other more expansive recruitment efforts, like uh, interviews like this with you tonight. Um, so, And that's why I'm so grateful um, for you doing this, because this really puts the word out in ways that sending letters and hanging flyers and lupus clinics can't do because there are so many people who are listening to this and talking about it with their friends and family who may not see those other recruitment materials that we've been using. So um, it's basically once you're aware of the study, and um, please tell friends, tell family, um, it's getting in touch with me. Um, and then myself and my program coordinator follow up with people. So I already have a few emails that I've received. Um, I've received a few phone calls. I've made my office line, my cell phone, um, and my email available. <laughs> so, you know, you could call me in the middle of the night. You could send me a text. I'll take it. I will take it. And I that promise is awesome. I will get right back with you. And so we follow up and we, we get people going. You know, we go over our consent form so people understand um, all of the aspects of the program, particularly the time commitment. Um, and then um, that people understand that we're not um, trying to do this, that we respect your time. So we're not trying to do this and expect you um, to, to be engaged in a program this time intensive without compensating you. So there is compensation involved where we're compensating our mentees each time they um, complete a questionnaire, and then our mentors are compensated for the training and for the time that they spend contacting their mentees and taking questionnaires as well. So, um, and we've also, we've tried to make it as accessible as possible. So um, we actually provide iPhones that um, participants use for the duration of the study. So they're given an iPhone to use so they don't have to depend on their own phone or computer um, to use for the study. And this um, enables people who are located in more remote areas of the state um, to, to have a mentor who's in charge. That's awesome because or a lot of people have trouble Columbia. traveling, Dr. Williams. A lot right. of people have trouble traveling, and that is so exactly. awesome that this part exactly. is being provided so that exactly. there's nothing that's going to impend me on um, not being able to help someone. Right. So we try to cut out that travel burden and also um, make it so that the intervention itself is delivered by phone. So using the iPhones, people can do calls, but they can also do FaceTime or they can do video chat. And the small groups can meet. Um, we're setting up a conferencing app where people can call in, but they can also participate by video if they want to, um, if they're feeling like that's what they want to do. So we, we make it so that there are a ton of options for how you're communicating with each other, but the fact that you don't have to meet up in person. So, um, so like you're saying, there, we, we kind of eliminate 
um, all of those barriers to being involved. Um, as technology much as is something else. It is. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And we try to make it as easy as possible. We know that not everyone is as tech savvy as others, myself included. I'm, you know, I'm just learning about things like Snapchat and Instagram and how to use different <laughs> features on my iPhone. So I'm learning right along with um, some of our older ladies who, who this is not, you know, this is not necessarily their cup of tea to be on some of these um, social media um, platforms and, and things like that. So we try to we try to make use of the phone as simple as possible and make it more of a tool to improve access rather than create another barrier. Love it. Love it. That is awesome. That is so awesome. So um, just to repeat a little bit here, so this, is the, this particular part of the study is specifically for African-American women diagnosed with lupus. That's right. Right. But if those, because this, this information is going to get out there, people are going to be hungry. So, but those who are interested in learning and possibly seeing if, if you could explore other areas, could they also contact you to kind of be on that list or just bring their inquiry yes. to you? Yes, about please. Possibly, I welcome know, like all men and, and Hispanics, um, um, you know, white, you know, any, any of they can de definitely contact you just to yes. express their opinion and, and see if that can come up in there. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes, because Helena, as you know, I mean, I know a lot of you out there don't know me, but I am a machine. I I joke all the time that I have a I have a whiteboard in my shower because I I don't I don't even <laughs> shower in peace. I am always working. I'm always at work. Always got the next idea. And in our climate at, at an academic medical center, we always have to be thinking what's next. Even while this study is just getting underway, we have to be thinking about how are we going to build from what we're doing now um, and how are we moving forward. And so there are a ton of things um, in the pipeline um, for some of these other groups, some of other issues where we can use this peer mentoring approach, approach where we can expand beyond peer mentoring. Um, I, I would love to do something with our African-American men. Um, and I would love to do something in younger people. So looking at our, um, our pediatric lupus patients and, and how they're transitioning into adult care. Um, I was actually approached about doing a project focused on caregivers, so just the family members and friends um, of our lupus mm, ladies um, yeah. and, and their experience and resources that they can draw from to be a better support system. So there's a ton. So yes. Any, if you want to contact me about anything, um, we can we can chat about it, and you might give me another you know another great idea where we can build another really wonderful, useful, beneficial program. So, so yes, I, I do accept calls and emails, even if you don't have any interest in this particular peer mentoring study. Um, even if you're just looking for information in general about what I'm working on and what my, you know, where, where my mind is going in the future and all of that. And you, you don't necessarily have an idea. You just kind of want to see what I'm up to. I'm, I'm game for that, too. <laughs> that is awesome. So, you know, tell us, tell us what's the best way and the quickest and the easiest way to contact you to um, either apply for the study or even to find out more information. 
The best way to reach me is probably by emailing me. Now, um, I will also give you my phone number again, but um, I am on email 24-7, so I will see an email probably quicker than I would um, hear a voicemail message, let's say. Um, and my email address, I, it's, um, it's uh, published you know, on the MUSC website, but in case you don't have access to that, um, it is W-I-L-E-D, um, wild, at M-U-S-C, for Medical University of South Carolina, dot E-D-U. That is probably the, the best way to reach me. Um, other than that, my office phone number is the best way to reach me with interest or questions or to chat about other topics, and that phone number is 843 8761519 and I love my office line because when you call that line even if I am not there and you leave a voicemail I get an email so I no matter what I cannot miss a call um, okay, or an email awesome. because it pops up um, immediately in my system whenever I get either of those. Um, I know that my cell phone um, number is published as well, but as I was saying, we have these study phones that we'll be using. So I'm going to be transitioning from use of my personal cell phone, which I've been you know, handing out the number for, um, to using that study phone. Um, so, and that number I don't know yet, but you can gotcha. always reach me um, at my office line or my MUSC email. Well, I'm quite sure they're going to find a way to get in touch with you. And yes. <laughs> with <Yes>. this one. <laughs> That's definitely going to be because, I mean, it's just, it's just uh, if you are someone that is really into advocacy, it's going to be hard to resist um, um, to at least find out more information about it. I, I can just see those calls coming in for that, and I think that that is wonderful what this program has to offer. And it's, we we got to see. We got to know. But we got to have participants in order for us to see where it's going to go. So speaking about seeing where it's going to go, what are some other things? You know, these are, this is great right here. And so now we're even more interested in what are some other things, if you don't mind quickly telling me, that you see where you see this going or other projects as they relate to lupus that you are interested in working on? Right. So my next, um, my next big idea, which I can't wait, I really can't wait for this project to get underway um, because I'll actually have a little more free time to, to delve into these other areas. So I'm so excited. I'm so excited about everything that's going on. But um, as I, I think I kind of touched on it before, but something that I've wanted to do for a long time is do a program that's targeting our younger um, particularly African-American females. So we're talking those years between 15 and 22 when a lot of our ladies say that they've started to have symptoms but they weren't diagnosed and really mm. grabbing those ladies, you know, raising awareness um, in that group so that they can recognize these symptoms, possibly be screened earlier, treated earlier to avoid those long-term complications and that long-term damage. So, um, so that and there's a few ways that I would like to to address that that issue and and that group. Um, one of them is to have the same peer mentoring approach with our younger patients who are transitioning from pediatric to adult care, so that they start to learn those self management principles very early to keep them out of the hospital, to keep them their kidneys healthy, to keep them um, you know adhering to their medical regimens because during that age. You know, our girls are out there. They still want to be girls. They want to party. They want to be with their friends. They want to, you know, be all over. They want to live. 
yeah. they do. They want to live. And at that age, you know, it's it's important for them to be encouraged that, hey, you can still live, but don't forget about such and such. Don't don't um, put your health on a back burner and then, you know, be on dialysis in five years. You know, you need to you still need to be mindful. Um, you still need to be managing your your health and your disease um, in a way, but learning different strategies where you can still have a great time. You can still have a very fulfilled life and, and um, you know, approach a lot of things that maybe some of these girls feel is impossible for them when they get a lupus diagnosis. And that's where the mm-hmm. peer mentoring piece comes in, where they're being mm-hmm. mentored by other young women who have gone through it. They're managing things well. They, they're able to encourage and support and model for these girls and hopefully help um, them to avoid um, some, of those, um, some of those bad outcomes. So that's one wow. that's one a- angle, mm-hmm. but then also I'd like to tap into our HBCU system and really raise awareness on some of our black college campuses about knowing your family history, knowing the symptoms, being screened early for not only lupus but other connective tissue disorders, um, and having that knowledge and awareness about it that I think too that too um, could help prevent. Um, some of those um, scary flares, you know, those scary initial flares, those hospital admissions and readmissions, and a lot of that long-term damage and those um, life-threatening complications as well. Because really early detection and awareness and earlier treatment can make a world of difference when you're talking about prognosis and lupus. So yes, those, are, those are the two big areas um, that I'd like to focus on next. That's where I'll be turning my attention to next. Um, That's then there's, exciting. You know, there's a well, that is exciting. Thank you for sharing that with us so we can keep those types of things in mind even um, going forward with the PAL study. So yes. very excited about that. This is some great information. And I just thank you so much for taking the time to actually relay this to my audience. And I know that you'll be getting lots of calls and emails about this and about some of their opinions. Because I can see folks having, with loving to chat about different, those different arenas like the um, <clears throat> childhood lupus, yes. um, other self-care responses and possibilities, and just all kinds of interventions with other communities, other people of different ethnic backgrounds, just really wanting to explore that. And you being a champion for us in terms of these types of studies is just wonderful. So here's my question to you, Ms. Champion. Um, (laughs) What does health mean to you? Mm. Well, I think of health holistically. So um, to me, health means a state of balance. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is right. Um, there could still be some things that are out of whack and, and not quite where you want them, but you're in a state of balance where you're feeling like your physical, your emotional, your spiritual health are in balance with each other. There's not one that's way over here on the right side and one that's way out here in left field, but everything is in balance. So when I think of health, I don't, I don't only think about, um, like, having a cold or having a chronic illness um, like lupus or cancer or um, think about medications and treating symptoms. Those are all components. Um, but I also think about my kids and, you know, a long day at work and still caring enough for them to care about me 
and to make sure that I'm in the mm-hmm. right state of mind, that I'm that my emotional health is where it needs to be to be able to be the kind of parent that they need. So so that mm-hmm. when I think of health, mm-hmm. actually my mind immediately jumps to them, but it's kind of like it's it's reflecting back on me because if I'm not where I need to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, then they get out of whack, and then their health and all of those components of their health is out of whack. So so that's what I think about. That's what it means to me. Gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome. Thank you for relaying that. And I always like to close with, you know, learning with questions like that. And one more kind of like, I have a goofy question just to kind of get to know who you are even better. (laughs) You know, so if you had a choice, okay, so this is if you had a choice. If you had a choice, motorcycle or car? Ooh. Hmm. I think if I had a choice, it would be motorcycle. Now, am I driving it myself or am I riding with somebody? You're driving it yourself. <laughs> if you only had a choice, if you only had a choice between the two, motorcycle or car. This is actually funny. I would choose motorcycle, and it's so funny that you said that. I was actually um, every – I try to start every day with a devotional in the morning, and it's so – it's amazing that you actually brought up that question because I was reading a <laughs> devotional yesterday, and it was all about faith. And it was talking about, you know, kind of stepping out of our comfort zone um, and having more faith in the things that are possible um, in our lives. And I know different people believe different things. But the lady used the analogy of either riding a motorcycle or riding in a car. And she said that riding a motorcycle, it's risky, you know, but it's freeing. You're free and you're, you're taking mm. a risk that requires faith. That, and, and you're able to live more abundantly. You're able to feel the air. You know, you're able to feel energized and feel in control of what you're riding on and where you're going, whereas a car is much safer. Now, a car will still get you there. A car can still be sporty and fun and all that, but it's safer, and it's not as risky, and you don't have to necessarily have as much faith for your safety, um, for your passage and all of that. So, and, and so that's, that's exactly what that lesson was, and I think that's why I would pick a motorcycle because I feel I'm at the point in life where, yeah, you know, I do want to take the safe road on a lot of things, you know, being a professional mm-hmm. and a parent and all of that, but I want to live to, I really want to enjoy what I'm doing now. You know, I want to enjoy it and I want to live and I want, I want to feel the air on my skin and, you know, and be adventurous and all of that, and so to me that's what a motorcycle brings to mind. Um, and so it, it just tied oh, in really nice. well with that. That was good. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Thank you for expounding on that. All right, <laughs> one more. One more. If you okay. had a choice, cake or candy? You can only have Ooh, one. Cake, 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 cake. All day. <laughs> all, all day. All day. What's your favorite um, flavor of cake? What's oh, my favorite cake? Anything chocolate. And the funny thing is, I I'm not I don't really care for chocolate candy too much unless it's Reese's Pieces because I love peanut butter and chocolate. But you give me a chocolate cake, any kind of chocolate mousse, chocolate filling, chocolate double fudge icing, I'll, I'll take it. 
I love it. I love it. But Dr. Williams, Dr. Edith Williams, thank you so much of giving us such a great review of this peer mentoring opportunity. Oh, no. Thank um, I you. think it's awesome that it also includes some, um, what you said, cost effectiveness, some some financial um, opportunities in it. Because, you know, time is valuable, but being able to kind of work out of their homes and helping other people and learn more about themselves as they're also helping others, I think would be such a great um, opportunity for others. And I thank yeah. you for doing the work that you have done and that you're going to continue to do in the lupus community and out and all of those for health disparities. I thank you so much for that, especially to someone who I'm a very, I love advocacy. I love what it means. I love being able to talk about it, and I appreciate you taking the time to do these types of things and making this your life work. It is absolutely my pleasure. I mean, it, this brings me joy. This really does. It's really selfish at the end of the day. Um, I, I enjoy it so much, and, and this brings so much joy um, and meaning, really, to my own life personally. So I thank you, and I thank everybody who's considering being a part of it, because I am really, I become indebted to you, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. That is awesome. Well, I know one thing. We will be in touch. Thank you again for joining me. All right. I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you again. All right. I appreciate it.